Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Welcome back, and as always, thanks for listening. How many times have you heard someone say, ah, I don't go to church, too many hypocrites there. So many hypocrites, so many hypocrites in the church. Well, got a question. Where in the world are there not any hypocrites? Pretty much every organization, I'm thinking, has someone who could probably fit that role. Now, I've mentioned this before, that hypocrite is really kind of a Greek euphemism. In other words, a side word for actor, because they would have... Uh, in Greek plays, masks, and the and the actor or the hypocrite would change these masks to meet whatever role they were playing. So if they were being a villain, then they had this villainish-looking mask. I put that on, and then if they're playing another person of a good person, I would put that one on. So that's really where kind of the idea comes from. But once again, where on the planet are there not any? They're everywhere. And it's kind of this thing where people have a uh, a double standard in that, oh, well, the church is supposed to be full of perfect people. No. No. I don't see... Show me the verse. Show me the verse in the Bible that says the church is full of perfect people. What I say is it's full of sinners, saved sinners, but sinners nonetheless. So we need to be thinking of churches in more in terms of a hospital for saints uh, instead of a trophy case where you can come and, ooh, ah, and look at the perfect people. You know, see how they glitter and gleam. In addition, let me throw this idea. Going to church does not make you a Christian. does not make you a believer. Going to church doesn't make you a believer no more than, and you may have heard this example before, than walking in a garage makes you a car. So, the issue is, there are... A lot of people that will do very unchristian things in a church. Believe me, did ministry twenty plus years. Uh, hadn't seen a perfect church yet. I've been in some churches that had a lot of love, though. Okay, I mean, in other words. They love me with my imperfections, and I love them with their imperfections, and we kind of worked it out. Now, how do you tell? How do you tell when 
you're staring at the genuine article. In other words, you can say, that is a believer. Now, here's the thing. This is where a lot of Christians, especially theologians and pastors, get really sideways with each other. Partially because um, the answer to, to the question of, is someone saved... Uh, ends up being muddied by the thought process of, uh, and this is kind of the tag for the doctrine, once saved, always saved. So basically there's uh, a strain of thought that you can pretty much be an unrepentant biker selling meth. Uh, And not all bikers do that, by the way. there's some really great Christian uh, bike clubs and, and so forth. But anyway, I'm sorry, I digress. You get the idea. You can just do felonious stuff nonstop and be totally cool with God. Or at least as far as your salvation is concerned. You know, so here's, here's the thing. And this is where the book of James comes into play. And James doesn't say, hey, your works get you into heaven. So many Protestants accuse other groups of being that way. Um, And there are a few cultish kind of situations that... Yeah, but um, the situation with the churches in James, James is saying, look, show me your faith by your works, not show me, you know, earn your faith by your works. It's show me your faith by what you do, how you live. In other words, it matters how you live what you do. So if you're mean and evil to people, you may want to go back and have another talk and look really hard at what kind of relationship you got with God. You know, and what kind of, uh, you know, believer's situation you, you got with Jesus. Because that's not what Jesus did. Now, I'm not saying, again, that you got to be perfect. But it's important uh, to make a distinction here because there are many people who have very prestigious titles and status in their local churches, and they're mean as the blooming demons when they're out in public and sometimes even in church. And I think those some of those people are in for a blooming shock. Uh, it's not a shock I would wish on them, but when they're standing before the Lord. Now, the deal is, in my hope of hope, in my heart of hearts, is that I focus and God works with me so that I don't get in a situation like that. So, 
here's the thing. God says, imitate him. Okay? Um, and God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated it. God's an action God. He does stuff. Now, I think Jesus kind of summed up one idea this way. I mean, he summed it up. And he's talking to a crowd because someone asked him, Hey, who's my neighbor? In other words, who is this mysterious neighbor I'm supposed to be helping? And Jesus replied, and this is coming from Luke 10.30. He, he replied, a robber, or excuse me, bleh, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and went and saw him and had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. In verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Now this is an interesting story for several reasons. First of all, you have to understand that Jericho... Uh, was a very rich area. It was the Manhattan. It was uh, the upper crust. It's where the rich people live. This was their winter home. Uh, they had most of these guys had some really fancy places in Jerusalem, but they also had homes in Jericho. In the majority of Jericho. And uh, was a, a situation where the Levites lived. And the Levites served in the temple. There were temple servants. The priests who come from the Levite line, from specifically high priestly lines, um, were from that as well. Now, here's the kicker. Uh, we don't actually know, and this is a side note, that if this is the actual Jericho that it's talking about with Joshua, because Jericho was a super ancient city, even at the time of Jesus. It had been like built on top of a bunch of times. And they believe that this actually may have been the Jericho further north from the old Jericho. But anyway, getting back to the story. Um... The kicker is, if a priest, if, if this guy was dead, and it said half dead, which which you're, you're saying, you're looking at him and you're going, well, I don't know if he's dead or not. If this priest would have touched him, he could not have done his duties at the temple. Now, I'm not letting the priest off light. I'm just saying, this would have had a personal cost. Because most of these guys only got 
a rotation, because it was on a rotation, they only got to, to rotate in for service once, maybe twice, maybe twice a lifetime. So this was like giving up the maybe one and only time that he would have had to serve at the, at the temple. Likewise, the, the Levite, same situation, it's on a rotation, may have been the situation where he could not have served. Now, I'm not letting him off the hook. All I'm saying is, is that they weren't willing to pay the personal price. Now, the Samaritan, this is what's interesting, and I love the fact that Jesus goes to Samaria, talks to Samaritans, has some interestingly positive things to say about Samaritans, even though Jews did not get along with Samaritans. Samaritans were basically half Jews. They were half Canaanite and half Jewish, and the Jewish people in Jesus' day pretty much looked at them like they were sellouts, uh, because they intermingled with the natives, and yeah, they weren't looked on very highly. But anyway, um, it's interesting that, that Jesus sees a Samaritan for his hero in this story, but the Samaritan is the one that stopped and had compassion, bound up his wounds, and took care of him at a personal cost. Now, my question is, which one of these people demonstrated their faith outwardly? Okay? You don't know what kind of faith any of these guys have. Samaritans had their own kind of thought process. They did worship God, but they felt like they were. But they worshipped God in Samaria, on, in a you know off of a mountain there. The Jews obviously were like, no, Jerusalem's it. You know, if you go to the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, you kind of get a, a little flavor in there for that. But obviously, the priest and the Levite they had church duties, right? They had they had pretty important positions in their religious organization. And nevertheless, that meant more to them than helping someone. So, so the thing is, when you're walking through your church, look for the people that help and don't ask for stuff. that really do things for the church, for the people in the church, for people outside the church. And, and really, they're not looking for a pat on the back. And this might be on your pastor's team, on your servant's team, you know, the support crew, the janitors, uh, you know, it can be anybody. Those are the people that are demonstrating their faith through what they're doing because they're trying to do things that make God pleased, that make God happy. Now, there's a lot of reasons to do good stuff. The kind of thing that God likes is when you are doing things because it's in His Word and you and 
and it's positive, a positive thing you're doing for other people because you care what God thinks. That's what really matters in that situation. Now, you're saying, well, you sound like you're speaking for God. Well, that's in the Word. It's in the Word. In the Old Testament, God said to obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't need sometimes all the stuff we're willing to give up. What he needs us to do is to do what he asks. And sometimes you don't have to go to missions in the Congo for that. You can do it right where you're at in the job you're at. So, when you're looking, and, and you hear this thing, oh, there's so many hypocrites in the church. Yes, there's hypocrites in the church. Yes, of course. They're everywhere. And they're in every organization. If you ever find an organization that doesn't have that, at least one, uh, hmm, I don't know, man. You, you take a good look at them because they're going to get raptured or something because... Uh, in my experience, there's not an organization that exists on the planet that doesn't at least have one. And it happens. And praise God, maybe God will teach them and show them and they'll be better. That's what I'm trying to do. Because it's really, really not about your position in the church, how long you've been in the church, how much money you've given the church, what you've donated. Your, it's not that. It's what are you doing for God today? What are you reaching out to do for others today? Now, with that thought in mind, I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. And to Speak It On. Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your efforts.